Well, happy day, everybody. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, January 4th. Happy birthday, Michonne Garrett. Uh, birthday. Happy birthday. birthday today. Yeah, and uh, boy, I hope you're having a better day today, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, <laughs> but I'm quite sure you're not. And uh, actually, I hope, uh, hope you just get so fed up you quit. And if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, well, that's politics, which we like talking about a lot around here. We'll talk about a lot, how we get the common good to be part of our lives in everything as well as our politics you know um why 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 leave out politics when you ask for the common good by the way dan um i was uh, filling up my car at a at a gas station and i have uh the vehicle we have uh, still has the vote common good sticker on it the one i was driving oh yeah so it has the big vote common good logo in the in the uh website votecommongood.com and a when you drive a vehicle like this, a big black, you know, uh, Ford Expedition, and it's got a logo on it, it just invites people to talk to you. I mean, it really does. Or th- just generally think things about you. Um, in fact, I leave the logo on there so it looks like a work vehicle as opposed to just a guy driving around in that giant, giant thing, <laughs> you know, ruining the environment. And a guy came up and said, hey, I, I really like your sticker. Like, we need a whole lot more common... Uh, you know, common good in in our world. The more people need to think about it, and you know, we got to stop all this craziness that's going on. And, and I could tell by a few of the things he said, and just a general read. I may have misread him, but I don't think so. That uh, he would be on the other side of many of the political issues that I would, and maybe even identify himself. Uh, you know, in a in a anti government sort of sort of space. Yeah. But as is always the case, people see that phrase common good and vote time, they're like, yeah, that's absolutely what we need to do. And that means and then their their solution or their approach to that is completely opposite of, you know, what oh I might be suggesting what we do at Vote Common Good, what we'd suggest. So it it still remains one of the great connecting points, right? You have this little moment of agreement that we should, you know, care for the common good in all of our things and even mm-hmm. our politics. And from there, you know, the conversation just gets just gets started. So, uh, well, just a little yeah, it really becomes yesterday. a conversation of who who is in the common of common good, who's included, who's not. So often yes. it, that's where it starts. It's like, well, yeah, common good for United States citizens, but if yes. you come here illegally blah blah blah, then it's like, oh, I yes. guess we're starting from two different places where we talk about yeah. human beings right and, yeah totally yeah like and and it's not just u.s citizens it's um and we all do this right we, we end up with kind of a, a long adjective driven subset you know hard-working americans yeah. that, that seems to be code a lot of people want to have in there <laughs> like there's somehow hard hard work is is in there but they don't really mean that right because nope. some people who work jobs that are not very rewarding um mm-hmm. and so somebody works 30 40 50 hours a week and still needs some help well they're not working hard enough or they're not hard enough workers or or now they're working hard and not smart yeah uh, so, so if they work in fast food and are working 40 hours a week but still yes. can't pay rent because minimum wage is so low well that's on them Right. The business traveler who feels like, man, I'm really working hard and sacrificing a lot being on the road. And they are, you know, they're, they're doing their part. Doesn't tend to think that about the person that's then going to clean their room, mm-hmm. um, that that person's really working hard. <laughs> <And> <laughs> sometimes yeah. needs a little bit of, uh, sometimes needs a little bit of help. Um, so, you know, that's all going on. And then inside the political parties, boy, there is a range inside those parties, which is what we're seeing right now in the 
trying to select a speaker of the house is that in the Republican party, there's not just one kind of Republican. There's the insurrectionists supporting burn it all down, tear apart the institutions crowd. These are the 20 mm-hmm. led by Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and all those. They hate the Kevin McCarthy types and they think they're all just, you know, into it for, you know, the swamp and all this. Uh, so, so they're fighting in their own world about how much institutionality should exist. Same thing happens on the, on the Democrat, in the Democratic Party, you know, some mm-hmm. less institutionalized and some more, more institutionalized people. So all of that is also, uh, is also happening. And the, the, you can't cut quite as easily between Republican and Democrat and have that tell you everything you need to know. Caveat that with, but the Republicans that aren't into the burn it all down and lie about everything and attack the institutions that exist and as the MAGA, you know, Trumpist people do, have just stayed silent for so long and want to continue to run down that road. So that's a, that's another problem that they need mm-hmm. to uh, you know that they need to address. Um, but today we're going to talk a little more more uh, philosophical and um, use a big um, a big metaphor for how we pursue the common good, um, thinking about music of all things. Um, now, Dan, we should give our, we should give our bona fides on music because you, you have many of them. I, I am a new guitar player who in the last <laughs> year actually lasts 363 days. Oh. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm You're like someone who's, you know, one year mark, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get a medallion or something from somebody. I don't know. I would think <laughs> I'm going to hit the, hit the one year mark. You know, I'm counting this thing like someone who's accomplishing recovery. So, you know, I'm I'm counting the days. January sixth will be the um, the one year date that I started playing playing guitar and learning the for the first time in my life. You know, I started as a 55 year old for the first time in my life. Anything about music um, theory, understanding notes. <laughs> you know, I I listen to music, I know music, but I'd never played anything. Had no understanding, so I've got all that. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm going to put up a video on Friday, of sort of a one year reflection and all that. If anyone happens to still be interested, you, on the other hand, um, you know, have been, and I would dare say, are a a professional musician and professional quality musician. So you've got a whole other level of competency around all this. Yeah, professional is a strong word, but <laughs> I have uh, yeah. I have made a living. Somewhat okay. <laughs> making <Yeah>. music, <laughs> traveled and had a band and yeah. it was your job and uh, yeah, yeah yeah for a bunch of years I I fronted a band and we toured and signed a record contract and almost had that you know rock and roll dream and then the label fell apart and it was a whole big dramatic mm-hmm. disappointment real world uh, you know waking up yeah. to how things actually work um, but yeah I just can't can't quit music it's something that i just love to do and uh can't stop won't stop yeah and you you make music like you in your brain conceive of sounds rhythms melodies patterns and then put those together somehow remember them which i still can't seem to figure out um <laughs> you know a year into this how people remember any of this stuff uh remember them and and then can perform them later uh, with musicianship on instruments and um, and with with your voice. So I mean that that is a level. Okay, and the obvious here: lots of people do this right all over the place. There's music just constantly, but it's also a real fraction of the population that can do that. It is 
a remarkably rare skill that um yeah that it is fun that people. it still feels like uh doing a magic trick to a lot of people to be able to yeah. you know, pull a song out of thin air and create it so dude ser- seriously and i was watching a video um this morning or maybe yesterday I have different times of the day where I do certain things. I'm, I have this like discovery time where I'm supposed to learn stuff, you know, note theory and all this. So I watch a lot of videos and instructional things. And this person's talking about, it's a whole video series on improvisation, mm. right? So how do you learn to sort of play along and jam and improvise yeah. while other people are playing? That is just unbelievable to me you know <laughs> this isn't even complex jazz this is just like pentatonic scale movements uh-huh. around you know and a couple of a couple of you know e e scale patterns and but that people can they feel it and they um they can't describe it while they're doing yeah. it their hands just move and they somehow their fingers are are leading and the rest of them is following. I mean, there's there's a shift that happens that I think is so magical mm-hmm. and so wonderful. And I and I'm nowhere near that, right? It's um if you think about like a language that people will learn, um, whether that's an adult or a child learning a second or third or or more languages, or a human being learning their first spoken language. It's really slow. You know, you think about a little toddler having a certain set of words and then starting sounding them out and, you know, being looking adorable because they, you know, mispronounce one or use the wrong word here and there. And they're starting to put them together. It takes truly years of development, Mm -hmm. partly because the brain's development, but also just practicing that over and over until someone can put, like we're doing right now, um, language together and just string it together without even thinking about it right yeah. we're not in no way shape or form am i thinking about the words i'm about to say before i say them they're happening simultaneously to whatever thought i have and i'm not thinking about how the word thinking about how the words thinking about are spelled you know i'm not t h i n k i n g i'm just saying the word but they're all made up of letters mm-hmm. and sounds and so anyway, all of this to say, even if you're not musical, what we're going to talk about today, I think is the same. It's a reflection on the reality of the human experience. And, um, you know, Wednesdays, we like to talk about uh, spirituality and faith as it relates to the common good. And music is this universal reality that we live in. Birds singing, heartbeats pounding, uh, chimes blowing in the in the wind, like there, there's a musicality to the world that we're always matching or trying to replicate or trying to play. So mm-hmm. I want to use a conversation about music as this um, way to think about uh, a big operative metaphor. And, and I just want to say, like, I don't think metaphors are. I think metaphors are pretty much all we have when it comes to thinking in language, like. There is no, everything is is a version of something else as you think about it. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily as you do it, right? Or so you pick up a pen and that was actually an action of picking up a pen. So I have a pen in my hand. There's really one there. But when I think about that action, uh, I'm doing something else. It's, it's, a, it's a part of consciousness and human consciousness is always referential and refer, 
And when you're referencing something, you're using a series of comparisons mm-hmm. and metaphors are this functional way of comparing comparing things. So for me, the, the, the difference between a metaphor and the real thing is very um, unimportant, uh, mm. right? They're, they're to, to, the human, to the human experience. I'm, I'm not someone who believes, as maybe my Christian scientist friends would, that everything that we're experiencing is all just an illusion and just a series of metaphors. And there is no actual there, there, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, philosophical terms. I'm a, I'm a realist. So I think there is a thing there, but any experience a human being has with that thing, you're then using thought and consciousness and referential language to um, internal language or, or musical language or, or other kinds of, uh, other kinds of language. So, yeah. I just want to sort of step away for a second and say metaphor to me is not, um, we're not like, oh, what if life was like music? No, uh, what, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is, no, I think you can use, I think you can use music as a way to actually allow yeah. your human experience and consciousness to think about the other real things you do because mm-hmm. it's the tool that we use as human beings. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the framework. And what I like about this metaphor is with music, the purpose of the rules of music is different than in a lot of things, like from science mm-hmm. or from uh, you know, theology even. The purpose of the rules of music, you learn the basics, you learn the scales, you learn the rules so that you can break them, so that you yeah. can move beyond them. And uh, I think that's... Uh, really liberating for some people and really mm-hmm. scary for other people. And uh, it sort of depends on your, your temperament and personality. But I always struggled. I, you know, I took um, you know, music theory in school and classical mm-hmm. guitar where you have, to, oh. you have to sit in a very specific way. You have to hold your hands in a very specific way. You have to yes. have one foot up on a little stool and yes. you know, I love classical right guitarists and, and I love the music, but I just struggled. You know, I wouldn't have the angle right, and my teacher would reprimand me. I'm like, I don't care about the angles. and I just yeah, want to yeah. play, I want to make the notes come out, you know. And the goal well, of the, the rules is to help you get to a place yeah. where you can just stop thinking about those things and, and not worry about the rules because the rules are there to set you up for success rather than hold you in. 100% agree. And and I would even go so far as to say the other sectors of life, theology, like you mentioned, or science or uh, computer coding or any of the things that we tend to think, well, now there you really do want the rules, you want to obey them. People that work in those areas, they say the same thing that musicians, artists say. They're like, oh no, hang on a minute. (laughs) Like... In our world, we have the fundamentalists who stick to this only the known mm-hmm. way of being. But the where, where advancement comes in our field is somebody who sees it differently, breaks the rules, tries something new. It, that's why it's a great metaphor for life because it's mm-hmm. not just about music. It's really about, it's, it's a clue into how life really does work and function. And um, you're, I have this guitar teacher and I'm constantly peppering him with like, so why, why is, why is it like this? You know, um, 
I can't think of a particular example now, but in our, in our lessons, you know, 28 <laughs> of 30 minutes might be involved in some sort of response and question and answer because I'm trying to understand the, the language set and the, and the framework. I, I like that, that kind of thing. And he's constantly saying, Oh, this is, and he's, you know, he's Berkeley school of music trained. Right. But he's like, this is just the, we had a starting point for this style of music that mm-hmm. we're talking about. We're talking about Western music right now, and that's really different than Indian music, and that's really different than Asian music, and they have a different scale. And, and But it, it takes a piece of it, and it's he just starts to describe a big narrative, a big world of of relationality and, and, and interconnectedness, and how this piece makes sense because it chooses to operate inside of this system. And so in that system, then you're comparing things and you're, um, you're uh, allowing uh, music and notes and rhythms and harmonies to play with each other. You know, so we start with like, well, wh- why is it do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do? Why, why that? Mm-hmm. Well, th- like that's, it's philosophy and, you know, kind of very, very simple music theory. But the 12-year-old question or, or the 8-year-old's the question about, well, why this? And where did that come from? You know, uh, it all leads back to the same, well, we don't, there's not really we a good answer for why that is. just kind of made that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just is. And, and once you sort of embrace that non-demand, right, that it didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. But if you start there, then it just opens up all this other... Um, all this other way of way of being and and there's a commonality so another music student walked into the lesson that I had on Tuesday and Tim continued he's my te- instructor he continued our conversation and said to this other person who's much more advanced he said hey Kevin tell um say something about uh you know the I don't know, chords I've kind of lost the specifics on it because it's all new language to me mm-hmm. right um uh Start, start, start telling about uh, about how these work together. And he talked a little bit about the relationship between chords and minors and majors. And he said, "I was in telling his own story." He said, "I I was in um, in England, and there were some people from. Uh, there was a person who played and uh, spoke Spanish, another person who was Italian, and we were all together. And when we brought our guitars out." we started speaking this similar language Mm. of music, right? They could watch what I was doing and then say, I got it. And then they would start to follow and then they would lead. So this spoken language had, uh, you know, unfamiliarity. But then this musical relationship, they started to see and understand and hear each other Mm -hmm. and and could play along. And that's the thing about music is... We choose in English to use the word play. And that's the right word, right? Mm. Um, that, and there's some other things we say play, like you go and play tennis or you, some sports we say you play, but other sports we say or activities we say you practice. So my wife is a yoga instructor. Yoga instructors don't call going to a yoga class, I played yoga. Oh, they don't play yoga. <laughs> they don't play yoga. It seems like one of the more fun ones to play totally but what do you do in yoga you practice Mm -hmm. yoga right so it's a practice not something that you 
play. A- anyway, so I think a lot of this like borrowed language mm-hmm. is really insightful, right? How what does someone do with their spirituality? What does someone do with their common goodery? Do they practice are they a practicing Jew? Are they a practicing Muslim? Are they a practicing Christian? Or do they play Christianity? Do they play Judaism? Do they play Islam? Do they play the open-hearted spirituality? Mm-hmm. Like just that little shift from practice to play. And I'm not picking on yoga or practices or something, but it 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 it's a different space. Mm-hmm. So when I come downstairs, where I do a lot of my music stuff because it harasses you know, Shelly, who I live with, <laughs> I have to say to myself, I choose to say to myself. I'm not going to practice. I'm going to go play. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was an athlete, and I remember the difference between games where we'd play a game or go to practice. And something about, I guess, skill development is like learning and, and developing skills. But the purpose of it, the, the reason you would have rules or practice or hold your hand in a certain way in basketball or hold your hand a certain way in guitar or Mm-hmm. hold your voice or draw from your diaphragm if you're if you're a singer is so that you can access that in order to play in more spaces and more ways in, in other words to actually do the do the very musical do the very musical thing yeah it is interesting too that you the sports metaphor is that you work really hard so that you can play yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and totally. you know, it it makes sense for a lot of things. Like you want to get better at your game, so that, because it's more fun to not suck. Yes. Uh, so when you're playing, you're having more fun. But yeah, we don't often use you know sports as the analogy for spirituality. I find that yeah. interesting. Yeah, or, or we do, or with the parts of sport that we pick. We pick, you know, things like discipline or goal setting or any of the yeah yeah rest of that yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no it's it's really something all right so, so let's talk a little bit about music what one of the things I've uh, when I first started playing a year ago um I I remember I have a series of texts I think Dan you might be on them I messaged people and said. How do you make the A chord? Yep. Right. So I was beginning <laughs> learning. Do you remember this? Yeah. I was beginning learning guitar, and uh, the online instructor that I was using was like, "You're going to learn to play a song with the E chord, the A chord, and the D chord. E A D. Lots of reasons why they pick those, but anyway, they're fairly simple mm-hmm. chords." And then they start immediately start saying, and there's different ways you can do the A chord. You can do it with your three fingers like this, you know, on the same strings, or you can do your fingers like this, or you can do a bar chord and you can do your fingers like this. So that felt important to me. To be like, <laughs> like, all right, wait a which second. one? Step one already right. has these yeah. variables. <laughs> Step one is all of a sudden people like, well, it depends, right? Yep. That was and, kind of the the answer from everyone in that. Guitar thread. Like, you freaking <laughs> little, you know, wannabe well, philosophers are like, well, little grasshopper. <laughs> it depends on which thing I'm doing. And not, okay, so now I understand that, right? Um, that the the rule uh, is, 
useful, rule being put your fingers like this, is useful in a certain context. Maybe what mm-hmm. chord you're coming from or what chord you're going to. And that's true just sort of across the, across the, the scale, <laughs> literally and, and metaphorically. But this idea that the, the point of the fingers in a position on the strings is to make a sound, right? It's, it's, it's outcome related and the outcome is the sound, but the sound is really the experience, and the experience is really the 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 feeling that comes with that with that sound. So it's this connected um, practice or or activity activity where you put your fingers toward getting to a particular experience. Yeah, sound feeling. I remember moving between the A chord and the A minor chord, and the E chord and the E minor chord. And for whatever construct I have, I guess of just Western music, those minor chords all sound sad. Yeah, that was my first musical experience. Was playing an A and then an A minor, and being like, I literally feel something <laughs> different. When I move this one finger from here to there and it sounds right, they sound well together, they sound similar, but one is sad (laughs) and one is is less sad. And like that, that was the key, right? To to me was, okay, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So how do you put your fingers? Well, it depends on which sound you're coming from and going to and this relationality starts to show up like week one literally mm-hmm. week one you know um and and this is what i think makes music beautiful and lovely and and creative and human and also really hard because you all of a sudden you're into a relational system right you're mm-hmm. not you're not just learning a, a series of things. It's not just a series of keystrokes or a series of put your finger here and do this thing. It's the relationship of this position to this next position so that there's a relationship between that sound and this other sound and what that sound is actually going to going to produce. Yeah. And I find it just just so insightful to the human experience. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think about all the stuff we deal with and all the things we talk about and the way people behave. And I'm super into just behavioral patterns and how people live in certain ways. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe coming from, follow my metaphor, maybe coming from you know a D minor chord, they're going to play the A with these fingers or just with one finger. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and you think, well, how can somebody do that? Well, you can, and the point is: Does this is the outcome the thing that you wanted? Did it yeah. get you to where you're going? And it's so easy to find ourselves trapped in just what we do or what someone else does, mm-hmm. as opposed to I don't know. I guess the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of uh, it reminds me of the story where Jesus uh, gets caught healing someone on the Sabbath or mm-hmm. something, and. Uh, the religious leaders are very upset because he has broken the rule about working on yeah. the Sabbath. And he says, look, the Sabbath, we weren't made to please the Sabbath. 
the Sabbath was made to help us. And I think that's the same with rules in music. Like these rules exist just as scaffolding so that we can climb higher, not to hold us in. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, and, and that perspective, right? Like what is there, what, what's the, what's the effect? What's the outcome Mm -hmm. is such an important part. I think of this. Yeah. What's the way of thinking about like, what what are we trying to do here? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are you, what are you doing? And somehow kind of keeping that in mind and then seeing, you know, so for music, at least in the, the stringed instrument, you know, that I'm playing, I think piano similar, but maybe a little different. A lot of people know piano theory on this more than guitar theory. You're, you're having to suspend um, a lot of assumptions because even though there are rules, it's more like the English language where those rules are really built in with a lot of a lot of exceptions right so mm-hmm. so there's a lot of well well it depends yeah you know except after except C after C. Uh, yes yeah and i try to tell people because my last name is spelled with a g a vowel which is an i and then two t's and people often want to spell it with two g's and then any number of t's and i have to say to them no see, see in english the g has the soft G sound as in G versus the hard G sound as in G, uh, depending on how many G's there are before a vowel. So two G's is a, but uh, before and after a vowel. So two G's has a G sound, like in the word maggot. Mm-hmm. One G has a soft G sound, like in the word magic. So my last name is Paget, so it has a J sound to it, the soft G sound. So there's only one G. Trying to get family and uh, friends to be able to spell Paget, correct? I mean, there's, it's you know, it's just it's one G or two, and the number of people who put two Gs because they don't know the rule. Well, they don't know the because the English, English language rule. is just a because disaster. it's not. We should just spell it, it with a J. If it makes a J sound, how about that? Totally, and I bet the Danes would spell it exactly <laughs> that way: uh, P A J I T T, and then people would just be like, like "Oh, yeah. Paget." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's the thing about English language. That's the thing about music. That's the thing about human beings, mm-hmm. right? So if you see someone in some in some freeze frame moment, or you see you stop someone on a piano in one freeze frame moment, you don't have any idea what sound they're making, where they're coming, where they're going. Or even, and this is the thing about music that's just hilarious to me, even what note, what you would call the note they're playing. So you can help me on this. The sharps and flats are something that I'm just beginning to sort of understand. And I don't know if I have this right or not, but is it the A sharp and the B flat that are the same note, just depending on if you're coming from the A or coming from the B? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. If you're walking up and you want to make your A one half step higher, that becomes a sharp. If you're coming down yes. from a B, it's a B flat. But on a piano, that's the same note. Same note. It's the same note. It's the same note on a guitar. Yeah. It's the same note. And so if you say to someone, play a B <laughs> flat or play an A sharp, it's the same one. You're like, how can it be the same one? Well, it's because it's that note in relationship to the note previous to it. 
Mm-hmm. So these names and titles are are descriptors of a relationship. Yeah. And this is the fundamental thing that I think common good calls us to is that relationality, the it depends mm-hmm. part of all this. This is just the truth of this is the truth of music is that that sound that you hear. So if you play the A sharp or the B flat and someone says, what note is that? Well, it depends. Uh, <laughs> both people, both people can be right. Yeah, what right? Like, key I are we playing just, in? Yes. Yeah. What key are we playing in? And, and where are you coming from? And, and when people say like, what key are you playing in? Cause I, this was, this has been a whole awakening the last couple of months for me. I'm like, well, what difference would it make about what key I'm in? They're like, well, th- that's the only way you would know what group of notes mm-hmm. and letters you're dealing with. And just having to sort of uh, swim in the world of everything is in relationship to something else. Yeah, that I mean, that opening up of music and if people would um, see music that way and sort of talk about it that way, I, I think it, it, it matches the human human impulse because mm-hmm. this is this is what we have going on now how does this relate to things like truth and all the rest of it it's really interesting you know philosophers are on the area of truth and i've spent a lot of my adult life thinking about this stuff in relationship to spirituality and just truthy and truthiness in and of itself and absolutisms um i, I think that absolutist tendencies and fundamentalist tendencies which tend to go together don't serve humanity very well. They're they're quite inaccurate. People f- believe and talk about them at times if they're advocates of it as if they're the most accurate. Like, um, what exact like this phrase it yeah. comes up a lot in, in language. What exactly do you mean? Okay, that that's like me writing to all of you and say, exactly how do you put your fingers? <laughs> You're like, well, it depends. What exactly do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. Uh, you know, on, on how I'm using this word in the context or using this idea in a context of something else. So exacting language and specificity and all that, it, it exists, it's around, and it's, v- it's incredibly unuseful for a lot of things mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or a lot of the things that matter. And I'm, I've actually been really surprised to watch how conservatives, political, social conservatives have been um, moving so aggressively into the like non um, absolute kinds of spaces, you know, like Mm -hmm. truth doesn't really matter. You can just say whatever, like, Hey, if you just tell people your, your mom was, you know, killed in the, in the attacks of nine 11, that's, that's kind of fine because we, all you're really doing is trying to get somebody to, you know, like have a response to your, to your idea, you know, this congressman that was lying about this or (laughs) the the myriad lies that, that Trump kicks Mm -hmm. out in the world and, and all this like, Oh no, no, no. It think about what he, what he means, not what he says. And okay. So you watch that whole thing sort of happen. (laughs) It's like, all right, here we go. That's, they start sounding like all the woke philosophers that they <laughs> you know, spoke, spoke out against, right? When yeah. I remember when Christianity and these fundamentalists were always talking about absolutes and fundamentals and absolute truth and oh, things yeah. either are or not. They're, they're ons and offs. They're not dimmer switches. You know, just I grew just up all being so concerned about finding absolute truth. Was it possible? Where, how do you find it? 
how do you know if you've found it? What if it's totally spent so much time and worry, like yes. thinking about that stuff? And that turns out doesn't even matter to them. Is it? Nope. Never was the point. <laughs> Never even was the point. Yeah. And the will of God and oh, like, wow, is the yeah. will of God a, a spot? Is the will of God an idea? Like, you know, that's just a thing. And I think it's a developmental piece. And the things we learn from music, I think help us to see all of this mm -hmm. and say like, okay, that that's, um, you, you know, look, there, there are notes, there are chords, mm -hmm. there are rhythms. I, I, I promise you there's a rhythm because I can't find it. <laughs> I can't stay on the one four. The only way it's obvious that I can't stay on the one four is that there's a one four beat. Like, and I'm nowhere near it. You know, I mean, I'm on it occasionally, just, you know, like, like a leap year happens every once in a while. A just broken to get the clock. Just, yeah, it's, it's got, it's got to be right every once in a while. So those things exist. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they, even a rhythm is only meaningful if that's the outcome you want, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> if that's, and, and this is the thing you were talking about earlier, these rules, whatever they are, exist in service of the, the beauty, the outcome, the yeah. feeling, the, and I heard all these guitar teachers and they're saying it all the time. They're like, look, just settle in and let the response and reaction come because it's the feeling Music exists in the parts of the human experience that we tend to call feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like like it's how intuitive, how, yeah. How how are you interacting with with mm -hmm. with all of this? And you have this little quote about fundamentalism. Yeah, in, I want to get into this. This is a this is from a book that I really love, and I read through it you know a couple times a year. Typically, it's called "The War of Art" by Stephen Pressfield, mm. and he has this quote about fundamentalism and art. He says, the fundamentalist, or more accurately, the beleaguered individual who comes to embrace fundamentalism, mm. love that, Pressfield writes, uh, cannot stand freedom. He cannot find his way into the future, so he retreats to the past. Fundamentalism and art are mutually exclusive. There's no such thing as fundamentalist art. This does not mean the fundamentalist is not creative. Rather, his creativity is inverted. He creates destruction. Even the structures he mm. builds, his schools and networks of organization are dedicated to annihilation of his enemies and of himself. <laughs> what a <laughs> Wow, 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 then wow. This last little bit, while one looks forward, uh, is talking about the difference between fundamentalists and uh, humanists is what he's talking about in this book. Uh, while one looks forward hoping to create a better world, the other looks backward seeking to return to a purer world wow. from which he and all have fallen. I think that last quote is really accurate. Like, there's so totally. many people that are just like, if we could just get back to the good old days. Yes. And there's so little thought going into what could we create in the future. Just really, really that striking. Is, that, is, that is wonderful. And and the thing about it is that all that fund fundamentalism, and it doesn't matter the industry, it doesn't really matter the topic, is almost always, I, I'll go so far as to say always, and then someone can just correct it if, it's, if there's an exception, is always the system created to describe something that existed without the fundamentalist description Existing, 
right? So, so the, the rules of whatever it is didn't exist first and then people created someone made something they made words they made art they made a building and then someone else looked at it and started to understand it started to deconstruct it and look and see how was that put together mm -hmm. and from there they said oh here's how we're going to describe that and that description then became the thing that that became instructive for other people to say here's how you too can make that yeah. and soon that description then becomes something that can't be changed. Yeah. But it wasn't necessary at the start. And you can just find this in every industry. I know this very well in the in the Christian narrative. You know, I'll often people often want if they're going to be fundamentalists in Christian spirituality, they really want the Bible to be that thing that serves as the fundamentalist um, touchstone, the thing at which you compare everything. But there was a whole generations you know, decades, uh, centuries of Christianity before there was a Bible, right? Like, like literally the New Testament was being written while people were being Christian, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously they didn't need it to be it, right? There, it is describing the thing that happened. Yeah. So therefore it can't be mandatory and necessary because something exists. So so what good is it? Well, it can be a lot of good. It can be useful. It can be profitable. It can be helpful. All the things, you know, that scripture describes itself as as being inside the Jewish and Christian texts. But, it, but it's not necessary. And this is the thing that you see in music, right? You're like, well, who did, who did Mozart study to be able to write the things Mozart made? No one. <laughs> right like mozart wasn't like studying pre-mozart mm -hmm. bach the same way like these were people creating things and the same thing is going on now some someone is sitting in her basement she's got an electric guitar in her hand or she's got a fiddle or she's got some kind of tricked out you know changed up keyboard and she's making something and some point 30, 50, 100, 500 years, someone may hear that and be like, okay, here's what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And they'll start describing it and they can put all kinds of words around yeah. it and they can put all kinds of, of, of understanding around it because she is actually doing something that can be described. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't doing, she's not doing it from some formula, yeah. she's making it. It's it's maker culture. Mm -hmm. And man, that is the thing that we're all compelled to do, right? Is to make it to, to life and goodness and common good and beauty and spirituality and politics and 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 relationships. Like you literally are making them up. And then you can but you're never operating in a vacuum. So you're always comparing them to something and you're finding them mm -hmm. in some context and some relationality. But it's a fundamentally different project to say, oh, what I've now done is created something uh, that didn't exist using whatever set of skills I, I, I previously had and the new ones, the new ones I developed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Again, I was watching a video. To... Uh, there, there, there's a guy, um, uh, Rick Beto, maybe Rick Beto. Uh, he's a guitar, one of these guitar guys, and he has this 
um, I'm, I'm trying to learn a particular Gordon Lightfoot song called uh, If You Could Read My Mind, which I think is one of the great songs ever. Didn't go for Edmund and, Fitzgerald, huh? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, that would be very on point for a Minnesotan, right? To sing a song about the, uh, a, a boat accident, unlike Superior. Uh, no, no, I didn't. Um, there's a lot. I, I don't think Edmund Fitzgerald is anywhere near the best song by by Gordon Lightfoot. I, you know, maybe it is, but I think there's a number of, of of better ones. And I think if you could read my mind, is just something else. And I've thought this for a very, very long time before I ever knew music or was playing music or something. I just there was, I was just always wondering like. Gordon, what's eating at you, man? Like, what made you make this song? Because whatever's going on in there, it's just a, it's just a great thing. Okay, so this, I think Rick Beto has a series of YouTube videos, and they're what makes it's they're under the banner of what makes this song so great, mm. right? So he deconstructs a song, like the quote, right? He goes in and deconstructs it. And says, here's what's happening in this song. Here's these notes. And here they're, they're moving, you know, he starts using this complex language, right? Um, he's moving from one chord to another and moving to this sus. And then he's got a seven flat. And he, so he's describing, he's kind of pausing the song as it goes and he's describing it in music theory. And he's a music producer. So, and he's playing some of it on a guitar and he's got a little, uh, a, piano there that's like a synthesizer that's playing some strings and he's like and then the strings come so he's showing you what's happening and then playing it and you can start to see it and like oh that's what's happening and why do i feel this way at mm-hmm. that point in the song well here's the swell and here's how it's coming together and here's how the the chords are relating to each other right so he's describing it now my guess is that when Gordon Lightfoot was writing that song in 1971 on his guitar, and then someone put an arrangement with it for the recording with some strings, they weren't doing what Rick Beto is doing with the song, right? They weren't sitting down and saying, okay, so here's the formula. Mm -hmm. Now what you can do afterward is deconstruct it. So you didn't, he built it, then they didn't demolish it. They deconstructed it. They took it apart and said, here's how it got put together. Here's what's happening. And then that has some names to it because they just have a way to describe. In music, mm-hmm. everything that happens, you could say, well, that was a mistake. And a lot of musicians will say this. They're like, oh, that that song I wrote and that chord people love, it was actually a mistake. And then I kind of liked it. I liked the way it sounded. So then it gets a name, you know, and because it is a thing. It's some relationship between notes gets a, gets a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that experience of watching a song be explained in a way that honors the song, it's not, it's not dishonoring it, it's not trying to, de- to demolish it at all. It's trying to say, here's what's going on that's so great. So if you want to make a song that does this, here's a thing to pay attention to. Like, just know what's, what's doing that to the, to the, to the human yeah. ear and to the, to the human experience. I think, uh, unless you got some more on that. No, no, no. Uh, What's interesting about that, too, is oftentimes uh, the person that can do that work of deconstructing and naming the different parts of the the process and the different chords and keys and stuff like that, uh, they're often not the ones that can create something with as much meaning. And uh, it's even the case that like someone that's more technically proficient at guitar uh, might be able to play better. Like I 
remember hearing about, you know, like Jimi Hendrix is, you know, one of the one of the world's most famous guitarists, right? But mm-hmm. there's a lot of guitarists who are technically more proficient oh. than Jimi Hendrix. He was, you know, kind of a wild, sloppy player and can't do the intricate things that a lot of modern players can do. But he can play that guitar in such a way that in that evokes emotions yes. that some shredder in a guitar center can't replicate and can't create. <laughs> they can only imitate, you know? Yes. I just yes. find that really, really fascinating as well. That you can know the rules, you can know the scales, you can dissect and try to replicate something uh, in kind of a sterile environment. Yeah. But that's almost the wrong direction to come at art and music from. Like, it almost always still has to start with the emotion. And then you, that's right. You use those building blocks, but not the yeah, other way around. Boy, that is so well said. And and that's the dilemma for a lot of people, right? Is they, and I'm I'm one of these. I am clearly never ever going to be a musical creator. Like I I just know that that I, I don't have the internal ear sound. If 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 I make anything that is unique. And someone says, "Wow, I experienced something out of the, out of that." That that will simply be an accident. <laughs> There's just no. Okay, well, that's a lot not of art happen. is an accident. So. Yeah. Okay. So fair <laughs> enough. Uh, it's and it's going to happen once and not be and not be repeated. And I'm not saying the muse may show up and visit me and I'll, I'll accept <laughs> that as a gift. I just mean it's. It, yeah. And. I can learn to play music. Like mm-hmm. I can find a way to be an imitator that has real resonance and meaning mm-hmm. and tonality and so I'll have I I'll say it, I'll have my own tone but likely around sounds that other people have constructed yeah. just just knowing my ear and ability mm-hmm. and you know so on and the number of years I have left on this planet even if things go really great it's going it's the I'm just yeah. not gonna not gonna get there. So I have to figure out how does how do I learn to play and to make mm-hmm. that's not just um, imitation, mm-hmm. right? So when I'm learning a song, and this is what I think is true about spirituality and everything. I wrote a whole book about this book called Outdoing Jesus, which is kind of on on this, right? That we're supposed to see Jesus in Christian spirituality as the master teacher for whom we don't imitate, but whom we try to do our own version mm-hmm. of the very things that Jesus called us to do. It's yeah. Called, well, called yeah, it's outdoing like, Jesus. Like right? this with whole, music. It's like, how can you find yourself in a song that's already yes. been written? How can you make that into a play, a playpen that you can explore rather than, you know, a prison that you, if you feel bad yes. if you don't get every single note like they did on the recording. Yeah. And, and even if I end up making up a song, which I'm sure I will, I'll make up a song. It is not, it, it's nowhere near invention level, right? Like, like I'm, I'm in some kind of a, uh, some kind of a, of a improvisation thing mm-hmm. of of a lot of other stuff that existed. Some people, though, they're gonna 
their level of creativity is going to be to make something wholly new. So somehow, and this is true of our spirituality, how, and this is what I think a lot of people struggle with, because mm-hmm. a lot of people that I know who are deconstructing their faith, and I'm all for people, I have no opinion about whether you do or don't, and you stay or go, I don't, don't care. <laughs> I mean, I care about you, but I have no preference one, one way or the other, right? I'm like the, I'm like the server at the restaurant that when they come up and say, Hey, are you done eating? They really don't need you to explain to them why they didn't, why you didn't finish your food. Like, oh, I had a big breakfast, but this was really good. Like, I'm, I'm like that. Like, I don't care. You can take it or leave it. Uh, if it doesn't serve you anymore, isn't good for you, don't, but you know. Just don't be flippant about it is what I, what I would suggest if you're in the middle of some kind of some kind of deconstruction, really, frankly, of any, of, of any variety. Um, and a lot of people struggle with how do they live in some authentic way when all they know are the chords and the finger shapes and the sounds that they've heard before. And they say to themselves, I can't create my own spirituality. Mm-hmm. So they hunt around like me on the internet every day, finding guitar teachers and songs and soloists and, and instructions and pentatonic scales and things. And I'm just trying to glean because if I just sit down with a guitar, I don't have proficiency. I don't have skills. I don't have repetitive uh, 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 abilities, you know, that I can just put, put into play. I can't get my fingers in the same places every single time. Like I'm really at a rudimentary level, even a year in. Um, but can I play, right? Mm-hmm. Can I see it as actually playing this thing? Can, can I sing along to songs, even though I'm not creating like all of that? And that's the thing I hope for a lot of people is that they can find some spirituality and some common goodery that is going to really compel them to the kinds of feelings that you have about music, that mm-hmm. you have about, uh, about, about life. And, and really, you know, if, if, if you're pursuing the common good for something other than goodness and beauty and enjoy and, and betterment for for all people right where we all do better when we all do better or the way a friend of mine puts it where we all have enough and no one needs to be afraid i think that's a pretty mm-hmm. good a pretty good uh, goal to get to you yeah. know um all the rest of this stuff all the machinations all the fights all the the fear that we have of other people or of other people having power it just can and should really go away um, if we can approach it in mm-hmm. a much more, you know, sort of, sort of music theory way. And it's funny because I find music theory to be one of the most exciting parts of all this stuff. I love that. I love to sit around and listen to things and read things and mm-hmm. l- learn scales. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And I understand that other people are like, I don't want any of that. I just <laughs> want to, where do I put my fingers to make that sound? And then if I put my fingers here and make that sound, I don't care about the relationship between those two mm-hmm. sounds and what you call it. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, totally get that. You know, I don't think anybody has to, you know, love the, 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 to honor or sort of sit in awe of like, and then there's a word for it. Unbelievable. (laughs) Human beings are incredible. Look what we do. We can even come up with words for this stuff. Yeah. It it really is quite, quite something. It is. You mentioned that a lot of times these structures that get turned into fundamentalism are often just the ways we describe things initially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Um, in the deconstruction side of things as well, because mm-hmm. I remember, uh, you know, starting to deconstruct my faith 
kind of early college years and having these intuitions, you know, I'd been taught all the mm-hmm. rules, all the scales of Christianity, um, told that I have to play within this key. And, but I had mm-hmm. these intuitions that, no, there's something bigger or different out there. Yeah. And then I was given language for that nice. from people like Rob Bell or Brian McLaren. And yeah, it's like you discovering you know, music theory language. It's like, oh, of course, of course, there's people yeah, that have been speaking this the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the wonder of deconstruction. And I think it's such a great word. And I liked it in that fundamentalist quote that you put up. And um, because it's different than than demolish. And a lot of people think that the opposite of construction is deconstruction. The opposite of construction is demolition. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you blow up a building or knock one down with a, with a mm-hmm. wrecking ball, you're not deconstructing the building. You're demolishing the building. Different projects. Yeah. Deconstruction is someone who says, oh, uh, this is how the thing idea, concept, building was put together. It's explaining how it was constructed. Mm-hmm. How, how did we get here? And the reason that matters is there's some points in the construction of nearly everything, the construction of, a, you know, of an mRNA vaccine, the construction of a thought, the construction of a building, the construction of a computer, the construction of a cord. Mm-hmm. Anything that we make is made with a series of actions or, or products or something, like something, something's there. And once you see, oh, that's how those two things came together. Well, what if they went together like this? It gives you then the freedom to say, oh, that thing they did actually wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Didn't need that. Now, it really helps. So your great illustration, you know, which comes from a famous Jesus, one of the Sabbath was one of those. In Judaism, Sabbath was super important, really meaningful. Like it's the only one of the things in the Jewish text and the Jewish story that God also participates in, right? <laughs> like God rested on the seventh yeah. day. And so that's the reason we call it holy, right? This kind of thing. So so then Jesus comes along and says, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I mean, super, yeah, super important, but important because it benefits humanity. Right. Not important because we have to be serving it. And this is what I think the most helpful deconstruction can do for people is when they realize, oh, there these things I didn't I didn't need at all. It turns out they're not necessary for me. They're not helpful. They're not beneficial. They're not something I need. But this other piece I do actually want. That's the purpose of deconstruction of, of anything. And, and again, it, it can really be a thought or a, a set of relationships or something. Um, not just destroying it, not just getting rid yeah. of it. And I watch a lot of people in their spirituality be confused between demolition and deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately being like, oh, I'm just done with it. I'm just over it. And you're like, yeah, it's really, I'm, yeah, it seems like that's serving you really well. How did it get to the place where it, it like, like, how did, how, how did it get there? Oh, I have no idea. 
You know, just like, <laughs> hey, I bought this, I bought this property. It had this house on it. I'm tearing the house down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put another house up on it, right? And you say to them, oh yeah, I, I wonder who, I wonder who built the house or or why they built it this way. Mm-hmm. Well, I have no idea. I don't care. I just want it gone. Totally valuable project. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a thing you can do. Might not be the only thing you want to do, right? There, there <laughs> might be, you might look in there and say like, Hey, there's a hutch that's kind of built in and that thing's actually pretty cool. And here's how it functioned. Or, Hey, look what they did when they had a well in this house. And that well was something that served in this way. Now we don't need well because we have city water, but we can reuse that room. We can remake that because now it's no longer necessary. Like there's just a lot of other things you can do other than demolition. Mm-hmm. My experience is most people want to move from one thing to another. They don't actually want to go through the process of, of, de- of deconstruction. And that's one of the things that happens in, in music too, you know, is that I can, you can see, I can watch people. I get a lot of advice because I say things on the internet about playing guitar. And I just hear people say to me like, oh, don't, don't do finger exercises. Don't get caught up in scales. Don't worry about bar chords. Learn four chords and work on your hand rhythm and you'll be able to play a bunch of songs. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know what I don't want to do? Just play a bunch of songs. Like, this is the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's like, no, what I want to do is figure out how do people make songs? Yeah. Right? Like, not because I'm going to make something unique and great at all. That's mm-hmm. totally not the project. But because I want to join in that community of people who make that stuff and not just imitate it. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know. And, and I see a lot of this in lots of spirituality and politics, you know, in the same way, like there's a lot of people when they think about politics, they just simply want to vote these bums out and vote those bums in, you know, fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all, but not really thinking about, okay, <laughs> uh, how do we make sure this benefits humanity and is good yeah. and isn't just a toxic waste of, of, you know, power uh, uh, distribution one over one, one over the other. You know, it kind of reminds me of, do you, do you watch those movies? Um, uh, the Christopher Guest movies, like oh, Waiting yeah. for Guffman. And, Love and them. Those. Well, uh, <laughs> Waiting for Guffman, there's this great scene where Eugene <laughs> Levy, uh, they do this, it's a mockumentary, so he's being interviewed and he's looking straight at the camera and he says, you know, people often ask me, um, or, uh, sorry, hey, people often say to me, you must have been the class clown. And I say to him, no, I, I wasn't the class clown, but I sat behind the class clown and I studied him. <laughs> and right, like, like somehow the way you get funny is by studying funny I people. It. I, st- you know, and and so I, I carry both. You know, I carry this reality of like, okay, all all I'm ever going to be is someone who pretty much plays with what exists. Um, but I don't have to be an imitator. I it can mm-hmm. be legitimate. You know, yeah. I don't. I I I can. You know. You can actually, yes, you can learn to be funny, but that's different than you know, uh, just just studying the studying the class clown, and uh, for sure. So that's what I got. What else? What, what what else do you have? I think that's great. I mean, I can go on and on about music and philosophy and spirituality, but and and boy, I'll tell you, I wish there was more spaces where those where those came together because they're. Especially in Christian spirituality, the connection between music and Christian spirituality is just hardwired. Like there's mm-hmm. almost no ability to separate those. And um, one of the things I think that progressives have done poorly in 
Christian spirituality is we have not adopted music technology to carry the message. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could spend a whole show talking about how progressive Christian music is almost always of worse quality somehow. <laughs> yes, and is almost always backward looking, right? Yeah. Like like you brought up, right? Like it starts with, there's some period of time, usually mm-hmm. a classical, so the, just my experience has been, you, you go into mo- most progressive, theologically progressive spaces and churches and communities, and they're going to be using music that's really old. Yeah, 1700s. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like. like when the theology of those periods was even more harmful than the theologies that are being perpetrated on people now yeah. uh, from that concern, like really something. Um, well, and that's a whole other show of like progressive fundamentalism, how people think they have arrived at this oh, yeah. new vantage we point. Jotting, we should be jotting these <laughs> <Yeah>. down. Uh, <laughs> because uh, they, they get stuck in this new progressivism. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it's not just like what music do progressive churches use. That's a real thing. And I've been a lot part of some projects where people have been trying to make some good music and there's some that exist in the world. Um, but it's the relationship to the, to the music, mm-hmm. right? Um, Martin Luther, big reformer in Christianity, uh, the, the Calvinist gaggle, uh, the, the Methodists with the Wesley, with, with the Wesley brothers, the charismatic, uh, Pentecostal expressions, just to pick four of sort of the last 500 years that have had major impact. We're all basically delivered through music. There is no Methodism. There is no charismatic Pentecostalism outside of the music. Mm-hmm. It just it just doesn't doesn't exist. It it, it only it, it is a musical spirituality that then has all the rest of this stuff uh, wrapped around it. Yeah, and and that's different than what songs are you playing? An important question, mm-hmm. but different. Really, really quite different. And. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's another that's another project of, right. of conversation. And in political movements too, common good political movements that don't have music aren't going to last. <laughs> well, they're not going to they're not going to last. They're not going to exist. They won't come into being and mm. for the sh- if they do come into being, they'll go away because you can't sing them. And yeah. if you can't sing it, you don't believe it. And I just think that is fundamentally true. And wh- whether singing is lyrics or singing is humming or singing is, you know, the mm-hmm. the body's not making the music. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah, there's also a reaction against the manipulative power of worship music. And so a lot of progressive churches are like, well, we don't want to get close to that. So we're going to sing some really boring songs. To make 100%. sure that you can't be emotionally manipulated. <laughs> yeah, we should do an entire uh, conversation about this this shared space of people recognizing that music has all the power. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trying to, to suggest, and then saying, "So therefore, we don't want any of that because right. the only thing we want is you as an independent actor." Like moving back to Descartian sort of period, like you as a solo thinking human being that will make all choices unto yourself with no obligation to anyone. Mm-hmm. 
and certainly no pressure applied. Like that tendency, and I'm being real preachy about a very subset of Christian spiritual, progressive Christian spirituality, just removes everything that people then like about life. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> There's just nothing left. It's like, just pick a thing in the world that people do. And somewhere in there, there's a set of elements that tap into the human impulse of a person. And that's mm-hmm. what people want. Yeah. That's what they love. That's what they, that's what they go there for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that, that's why the, that's why the World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment exists. Not because people are knuckleheads and thinks it, think it's real. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. It's the feeling they have when they're there. That's why there's sports. That's yeah. why $6 million has been given to a toy a donation foundation from a football player that, you know, was hit playing football and had a heart condition. $6 million has been raised by that thing wow. now. But that $6 million is because people are like, oh, no, that thing, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Well, why does football, Matt? Because it does all those things that make somebody get caught up in something. Mm-hmm. And then you get into progressive Christian spirituality and people are like, hey, the first thing we want to do is make sure nobody gets caught up in anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Let's so suck all now? the fun out of it just to make just sure. Just suck all the life out of it and have no one look like a charismatic leader, have no one look like they're yeah. following anyone and just, and look, there's dangers to charismatic leaders a thousand times over. Yes. So you, you do need to avoid those, but we can deconstruct all that stuff and yeah. not demolish it or ignore it or all the rest. That's actually a pretty good, uh, I think, a pretty good topic for us to. Um, yeah, that'd be fun to dig into more. Yeah, but we should probably call it a call it a day. Yeah, it's enough. Call it a Wednesday. That's enough. Thanks to everyone in the chat for hanging with us: Kev, Joe, Jim, Susan, Tammy, Jennifer, Anthony. <laughs> Alex, thanks everybody. Look at look, look, look at Mike D's quote though. Uh, he's got a quote here from uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, I dream of a day where I walk down the street and hear people talking about morality, sustainability, and philosophy instead of the Kardashians. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, okay, I know we got to go, but the, but why do people get into the Kardashians? Because they make you feel away. Because there's a thing there, right? And. Yes, it's very base and it's very ridiculous and it's just you got to be kidding me and mm-hmm. but there's a re- people aren't well this is this this will be another conversation if you think people are basically fools and I'm not saying uh, Mike's saying this but if your belief is that people are fools and therefore easily fooled and are being dragged down by a bunch of charlatans then you're going to view the world in one way if you view the world as there's a wisdom in the crowds. And what we see by mass actions and activities tells us a reality of the world that we don't see in individual experiences. Then you pay attention to pop culture because pop culture teaches you something. And again, the progressives tend to be strangely on a side of like, you're not, you're not depraved. You're just depraved or something i don't know i don't know what it, you know it's like a version of depravity that you're, you're you have an inability to not be schnookered um so yeah that's what everybody's into uh and therefore you know uh, so, so this is the dilemma right mm-hmm. why do human beings like some of the things um that that we do and, and and i just think there's i think there's a fundamental truth in there that we should be but that's yeah. that's it I'm, I'm jotting this down on Paying the yellow. Paying attention to and deconstructing. 
and deconstructed and playing along too. So I thought I'd just play out today, everybody. I thought I just oh, I just happened to have a guitar Uh-oh. right here. <laughs> no, I am not at a point yet where I will ex. You know, I'll put up a video or two of playing, but that's very very well curated, just because I don't want to be. Uh, I'm just not in a place yet where, you know, I want that in my head. So. <laughs> It's still it's still a very private experience in my uh, the way I access all of this um, big sure, community yeah. of musicians. Yep. All right. Okay, y'all. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow. We're going to be talking with our astrophysicist, uh, pastor, and professor friend Paul Wallace tomorrow. So um, we'll see you tomorrow morning, like eight thirty central or something like that. I can't remember what time we're doing. <laughs> all right. Uh, bye. We'll see you soon.